This episode of Stick Like Glue Radio is brought to you by Jim Palmer's Dream Business Academy Annapolis. This truly one-of-a-kind live event takes place October 7th through the 9th in beautiful Annapolis, Maryland. And you'll learn exactly how to market and grow a more profitable business faster. Jim and his dream team of speakers will share some of their best marketing and business building advice, all in a pitch-free zone. And don't miss two of Jim's rock star entrepreneur friends, Melanie Benson Strick and best-selling author Bob Berg. Dream Business Academy Annapolis will quite literally transform your business. Do not miss it. Get all the details and register today at www.dreambizacademy.com. That's www.dreambizacademy.com. Hey, friends, this is James Malinchak, featured on ABC's hit TV show, Secret Millionaire, and founder of BigMoneySpeaker.com, and you are listening to my good friend, Jim Palmer, on Stick Like Glue Radio. Welcome to Jim Palmer's Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. Jim Palmer is a marketing and business building expert, author, speaker, and an in-demand coach. He's the founder of the Dream Business Academy and Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind Program. Jim is the host of Newsletter Guru TV, the hit weekly web TV show based on Jim's smart marketing and business building advice. Check it out at www.newsletterguru.tv. And now, please welcome the host of Stick Like Glue Radio, Jim Palmer. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. Those are always good things in any business. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, your dream business coach, and as always, I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. I'm super excited about this week's show. My special guest is New York Times bestselling author Kevin Cruz. Let me tell you a little bit about Kevin, and we'll bring him right on. Kevin is an Inc. 500 serial entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, and Forbes columnist. Kevin has been named a top 100 business thought leader by Trust Across America. Over the last 20 years, Kevin has started or co-founded several multi-million dollar companies, which have won awards for both fast growth as well as employee engagement. He ranked number four best place to work in PA, my home state. As a keynote speaker and performance coach, Kevin has worked with Fortune 500 CEOs, startup founders, U.S. Marine Corps officers, and nonprofit leaders, and we just found out we probably live about 45 minutes from each other. Kevin, how are you doing today? Welcome to Stick Like Glue Radio. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jim. It's great to be here. It's funny in the world of podcasting, we, you know, I know we both talk to people all over the country in a couple different continents, I think, and here we are probably about 45 minutes from, from each other. I haven't done an interview closer. This is really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a first. <laughs> you know, so I was doing a little uh, research on you, and I know you've written a couple books and a couple awards. You're, you've certainly uh, earned the title Serial Entrepreneur, so I could probably talk to you for an hour, so we'll we'll see how we go. But, you know, I'm really intrigued by um, by your book, 15 Secrets, Successful People Know About Time Management. And um, one of the things that uh, I know, there's there's one phrase that I know a lot of people just repel, they kind of recoil when they, time management. But, you know, you, you share some really good stuff. So first of all, let me ask you, you know, why did you write this book and, um, you know, what what kind of led you down that path? Yeah, that's a great place to start, Jim, because, and you're right, I mean, uh, I really struggled with that ty- 
actual, not, not just because it was so long, but uh, putting that phrase time management. Because to me, what the book's really about and what I was passionate about is extreme productivity. You know, how can we 10x our productivity while still feeling balanced? You know, so many of us are running around, you know, we claim we're crazy busy, we're overworked, overwhelmed, overscheduled. Well, how can we get massive increases in productivity without feeling that, that craziness? But, you know, productivity, <clears throat> if you look at, if you do some, some uh, research into what people are searching on, people are searching on that term time management. So it really was a marketing angle. It's like, okay, I need to put language, you know, they say, they say, sell people what they want, but give them what they need. And that's exactly what the title about this book. People think they, they you know, want time management, but what they really need is extreme productivity and balance. And to me, it's, it, it, just to your point, I mean, it's a little bit of a passion project for me because, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur, started uh, and, you know, sold some companies over the last 25 years. And I've always been obsessed, or for a long time, I've been obsessed uh, with time and, and productivity. And I finally got to a spot, you know, in my life and in my schedule where I said, you know, before um, before I get any older, you know, let me just write the book I want to write on this topic. And it's not just my own views, but let me go and, you know, interview some of the most successful people uh, that I can find, you know, over 200 entrepreneurs from, you know, Mark Cuban and co-founders of Facebook and Groupon to uh, Olympic athletes and solopreneurs and put it all into the book. So, you know, it was it was a passion project for me about around productivity and a chance to get really, you know, just even smarter from some of the just the highest performing people that were out there. Yeah. You know, I'm a I'm a big fan of Mark Cuban. He's one heck of a smart individual. I love, you know, one of the greatest things about Shark Tank is when you just look at his face. Everybody else is going the other four are going up and down and he's just sitting there staring at the guy, getting a full measure guy or gal who's up there in the carpet and um you know, I, I do something I want to share. I want to ask you what what uh, Cuban's advice was. That's pretty cool you got that interview. But, you know, I want to share one of the things that I do and get your get your take on it. First of all, I think Kevin, people have to realize that the value of their time if they knew exactly what their time was worth to the business to themselves they'd stop doing silly stuff right and they'd probably outsource and, and delegate a little bit more but one of the things that I do which which I find it helps maximize my time because I have several businesses as well is I do all my interviews all my coaching calls with my clients on Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday so those are like my solid pack days and then Monday and Friday I call those my bookend days Kevin because I have absolutely zero interruptions so if I'm writing a book doing a project I know I can get so immersed in it because I never have to worry about an incoming call or a scheduled call or anything like that and or if I want to take the go see my my uh, grandson or granddaughter go sit on my boat I can do whatever I want so first of all what's your take on that (laughs) Jim I should have interviewed you for the book because that is uh (laughs) That is sound advice, and in fact, you know that's that's one of the secrets that that came out of this is a lot of ultra productive people. I call it they theme their days, and you know what um, Jack Dorsey, who's running right now both Square and Twitter, when they asked him, you know how how do you run two major companies at the same time, and his answer was around exactly what he said, you know theming uh, his days. I mean he's working long days. But he basically said, and I'm trying to, to, to see, you know, Jack Dorsey's themes, where, um, you know, uh, one day of the week was dedicated just to marketing. He said Tuesday is focused on products. 
you know, operational, internal operations meetings are on Mondays. You know, every day was dedicated to a certain theme. And, I, you know, I've run for a lot of years now a very similar process where the, the, a couple of days in the middle of the week, those are my game days, you know, where for me these days it's, it's writing, either books or articles or training programs. And so on those game days, I don't, I don't take calls. I don't do media interviews. Uh, I try to work in uninterrupted streaks. Um, but, you know, every Monday, to me, that's the beginning where I sort of do a huddle with my team and others. Fridays I reserve, I kind of, as you said, either to, to goof off a little bit or to take those coffee meetings or lunch meetings. So I think having a theme to our days and even sort of to, to theming the, the chunks of time on an individual day goes a lot to achieving that extreme productivity. Yeah. So what was um, so everybody's going okay, Jim. That's real nice. But what's Mark Cuban got to say? Oh. So what is what was his great <laughs> advice? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. It's it's. I mean, it's interesting. It isn't uh, gonna gonna be as life changing as people think. But you know, I, I had a chance to to interview uh, seven billionaires. You know, and, and the question of all these people is the same. What's your number one piece of advice for productivity? What's your number one piece of advice for time management? So it was open ended. Two of the seven billionaires talked about the evils of meetings, meetings, you know, time-killing meetings. So Mark yep. Cuban specifically, and, you know, this is, it sounds like Mark Cuban, you know, he said, never take a meeting unless someone's writing you a check. <laughs> nice. And, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I have to assume that it's like, you know, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone on your own team. I'm sure, you know, Cuban wouldn't consider a meeting. But how many of us, get sucked into got-a-minute meetings, uh, can I buy you lunch and pick your brain meetings, I'm in your neighborhood, I want to stop by and show you my new product or service meetings, whatever it might be, the drama, you know, among colleagues meetings. And, and that's what Mark Cuban said. I mean, you know, don't, don't take a meeting unless, unless there's money involved. And, you know, the other uh, billionaire that had, had advice around meetings uh, is Dustin Moskowitz, who uh, he co-founded Facebook, and he's now running, uh, he founded a company called Asana, which is uh, like a project management software company. And he said at Facebook, uh, productivity was getting so killed by meetings that they started at Facebook, and he's now doing it at Asana, no meeting Wednesdays. So even in a big company, they've said, look, you know, there's one day a week, that, that's a maker day. That's a do it day. You know, work on your most important tasks. Don't sit around a conference table jawing at each other. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Kate, is the CEO of Aria Healthcare, you know, here outside of Philadelphia, and she's got no meeting Fridays you know, throughout the entire health system. You know, they, all the executives, all the administrators, they want to get together. It's Monday through Thursday. Friday's the day to get work done, you know, before they all take off for the weekend. So I thought that was an interesting, you know, an interesting finding. Yeah, I like that. You know, um, so I started my business in my first company in 2001. Before that, kind of one of my last jobs was uh, running an association. And one of the things I did every morning, of course, I'd, go, I'd usually be in there at 6, 30, 7 o'clock, but everybody kind of gets in around 8 o'clock. So like 8.15, in fact, I didn't have it like on top of the hour, but it was like 8. In fact, I think I called it 8.13, a trick I learned from Dale Carnegie, right? Well, not him yeah. personally, but you always start the meetings like 7.29 or whatever it is. So at 8.13, everybody came out into the lobby 
of the officer. We didn't go in and sit down. We didn't jawbone with coffee. How was your weekend? How was your day? No, we, stu- we stood in a small circle, and we said, okay, here's what's going on today. I got this, this, and this. I got so-and-so coming in. What do you need help with? What's your challenge? Anybody got any questions? How can we support each other? Boom, boom. It was literally like three to five minutes. We knew who was coming. We knew who was challenged. We knew who was stressed, and, and there was no sit-down, and boom, we were done. <laughs> if I had that meeting lasting longer than five minutes, there better be a darn good reason for it. Yeah, again, uh, great minds think alike, Jim. I mean, it's it's something that several of the entrepreneurs talked about uh, in the book, including uh, Vern Harnish, who who you know coaches a lot of entrepreneurs, and and I adopted that practice in uh, my later businesses as well of doing these these daily stand up huddles, and I would often do them at you know 5:05 at the end of the day, also you know a weird time, and just like you said, around the horn, really quickly, what's up? Are you stuck on anything? Uh, any, you know, data or feedback uh, relevant to us. And it just moves everybody quickly and gives everybody that contextual awareness. And so often, and maybe, uh, you know, the first time I heard about this, I probably thought, geez, that's all I need is another meeting, a stand-up meeting. But when you get into that predictable rhythm, that huddle, uh, that cadence of communication, it, it frees up all these other meetings. You know, all the gotta minutes go away because you know when you're going to be doing your stand-up meeting. Uh, problems go away because everybody's in sync and working with each other. I mean, it's a really a great practice. It's not that all meetings are bad. It's the one-hour sit-around-the-table, you know, over-pastries meetings that are bad. I think those stand-up huddles are, are very powerful. Kevin, tell me about the Harvard experience that saved – um, I think it was like eight hours a, a week. Did you was that yeah. was that part of your research for the book, or where did I read that? Yeah. Th- so this was a, a study that was published in Harvard Business Review, where um, they went into a bunch of organizations and they taught. Uh, well, they watched they watched all these you know white collar knowledge workers, and said to them, Hey, you know, we think you guys are all running around saying you're overworked and overwhelmed. We think you've got a lot more discretionary time than you realize, and you're, you've got to take ownership for saying yes and doing things that are filling up your time that you really don't have to be doing. And they got challenged on that. So they taught these um, – it was mid-level executives on up to ask three questions. They said, look at your schedule each day and ask yourself – it was basically um, uh, you know, asking – can I drop this task? You know, does it need to be done at all? Um, can I delay it? Can I purposely push it off uh, for a while or, or delegate it? Or can I redesign it? Does it have to be done, but you know, can it be done in a different way? Or how might I do it if I had half the time to spend on it? So by talking about you know, dropping it, delegating it, or redesigning it, um, they found that the average, the average person uh, was freeing up Uh, It was six hours of meeting time each week and two hours of other task time. So eight hours a week just by asking those three questions, drop, delegate, or redesign. That's awesome. You know, I I work with a lot of, in my coaching program, I work with a lot of uh, beginning entrepreneurs and small business owners that are, you know, whether around six figures or or trying to get the high mid six figures or seven figures in their business. And one of the things I tell them, I don't don't necessarily call it time management, but I say, listen, when when I see them doing a bunch of things that I know they shouldn't be doing because they're too cheap to get an assistant or virtual assistant or anything, I said, listen, if you want to earn a million dollars, if you're going to work 50 weeks a year, take two weeks off, you got and you're going to work 50 hours a week, both are 
not correct numbers, but it's easy math. Yeah. You got to be earning $400 an hour. If you're doing things that aren't producing $400 an hour, like you're cleaning up your database or you're, you know, doing this or you're running out for your laundry or whatever, or you're cutting your own grass, whatever it is, if it's something you can hire out like for 10 or 20 or 30, even $50 an hour, whatever it is, that will free you up to do the $400 an hour work that you need to do. And, it, and it's really, unless and until you do that, you're going to be stuck earning the $10, $20 an hour because that's the job you're doing. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and you know, that's, that's one of the, the things I still struggle with, Jim. You know, I'm kind of, a, kind of a perfectionist, and I'm an introvert, so I don't naturally want to go out and talk to people and stuff. So I keep finding myself doing things that, one, I don't enjoy – um, but more importantly, it, it's not leveraging my time for what I should be doing best. And I know that I'm doing these tasks, to your point, that are at a much lower you know, price per hour than, than, uh, th- than what I should be doing. Um, the, the whole idea of outsourcing, is, is that was another, another secret um, in the book. And I stumbled on this interview. You know, Tony Robbins was just, I think, earlier in, in uh, this year, 2015, that he said that he got his first assistant when he was still a teenager, and he had no money. Everybody says, oh, I can't outsource. You know, I have no money. And Tony Robbins talked about you know, rushing to the dry cleaner to try to get his one and only suit before it closed so he could then rush to the airport and you know, fly somewhere. And he realized, like, wh- you know, what is wrong with this picture? And because he was dead broke, he hired someone for like two hours a week. But then it was quickly four hours a week. Then it was four hours a day. And, you know, I look at all these people who, as you said, they're small business owners looking to get to that million-dollar or more mark, but they're cutting their own grass on the weekend or, you know, cleaning their own house instead of getting a housekeeper uh, every couple of weeks or whatever that might be. And it's, it's really a, a, a foolish use of their time. And even if you're using that time, that the found, quote-unquote, found time to rest or just think strategically and creatively, you'll get a better return than doing those kind of tasks yourself. Absolutely. It always feels like you're putting the cart before the horse, but if you don't do it, you will never get there. So, you know, you know, whenever I interview people like you, I'm, I, I, I like learning stuff, and then once in a while there's like a big aha moment, and then you hear things that kind of reinforce things you, you know, you've already known. But so I got to ask, after interviewing billionaires and a bunch of millionaires, was there anything like super surprising, Kevin? Like, was there like a a big, a huge aha moment from anybody when you were researching the book? Well, the, the the surprise for me, I mean, the you know, I, I'm a reformed. I mean, I, I was young and dumb and out of control in my 20s, and my businesses didn't do that well. And I slow, you know, I'm a I'm, I'm a slow learner, but I'm a learner. So just with good coaches and mentors, I got better and better productivity over two decades, and my companies did a lot better. So I mean, a lot of the things that you and I have talked about, I I expected to find. I, I expected people to talk about. Uh, outsourcing and the power of no, you know, saying no to things and, and working from your calendar, all these types of things. The big surprise to me was how many people out of the 239 people I talked to talked about their morning routine. And remember, I'm asking just, I'm not, I'm not looking for it. It's, it's a simple question. I'd be like, all right, Jim, what's your number one piece of advice when it comes to time management? What would you tell an entrepreneur is the key to extreme productivity? So they can say anything they want. A lot of them said, change your morning, change your life. How you spend your first 60 minutes of your day 
dictates the productivity level of the rest of your day. And I really didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. I mean, that was not an answer, and a lot of them said that. And there's different morning routines. I mean, it wasn't that they were all doing the same thing, but most of them were talking about getting up pretty early, like 5 or 6 a.m., and then um, drinking water, uh, eating breakfast. High achievers are not skipping meals. They know that food is fuel and that your brain needs glucose to run. And so they were, they were eating a healthy breakfast. Most of them were either, you know, meditating or journaling or doing something contemplative. Um, most were, if they weren't full-out exercising, they were talking about stretching or doing some yoga moves or things like that so that they were physically getting their body prepared. You know, and, and some of these people had really elaborate rituals, almost like a checklist of what they did every single day. And then others were like, listen, I get up early, I eat and drink something healthy, I do a little bit of reading, and then I focus on my day. You know, so it was a little, little simpler. But that was the big surprise to me was how many people said, you need to make habits out of your, you know, great productive habits and health habits, energy habits in your first 60 minutes. That is crucial. You know, people ask, I've, ri I've written uh, six books in six years, and people, well, how do you do that? And I say, well, first of all, I, I go to bed. I'm definitely, a, or I'm by 9, 9.30, I'm in bed, usually asleep by 10. I get up on average, and I'm actually producing by 5 a.m., sometimes earlier. Like right now, we're in kind of heavy-duty prep mode for my event coming up in a couple of weeks, and like I don't know, it's 3.30, 4 o'clock this morning. As soon as I wake up, my mind goes click, and it's engaged, right? But I have this ritual, and it's, I've been doing it for years now. When I wake, I kind of I go through this little routine, you know, try and give thanks for all the you know all the blessings in my life before I even like exit the bed but then what I do is like you know I have a nice home office so I come downstairs I do not turn on the TV I don't look at Facebook I don't look at email I don't do anything I turn on my computer and sometimes Kevin I'll turn on a little background music but only uh, instrumental because I don't want to sing and I, don't, and I don't want anything going on in my head except what I need to put on paper so to speak and that so I can write for an hour an hour and a half a day and I can crank out a book in like 60 days because of that that morning ritual and I think what gets people off track even if you don't rise that early what gets people off track is all the distractions that are just yanking at their at their time Jim, again, like I, I <laughs> you are a ninja gangster when it comes to productivity. I can tell because <laughs> you just covered like the first couple of chapters. I mean, w the, what what people were telling me is like, listen, you got to get clear on what your most important task is. Is it writing your book? Is it making your cold calls? Whatever it is, get really clear on that. And then uh, Dan Ariely, the behavioral psychologist, you know, talks a lot about this. You need to schedule one to two hours of focus time as early in the morning as possible because that's when your brain, you've you got to wake up a little bit, maybe get a little bit of coffee, but then cognitively you're strongest early in the morning. And, and Ariely says, isn't it a shame that so many of us use our peak brain time to do what? Oh, let me check email. Let me check Facebook. Let me uh, sign these expense reports that stacked up on my desk. Instead, mm -hmm. exactly what you said, Keep email off. Shut off all your notifications. Keep Facebook off. Mute your phone. And the only thing, to your point that I do hear, people will sometimes play um, music without words or some kind of white noise. Uh, there's even like a lot of the, um, the, the, the brain music, they talk about binaural beats where there's these, these theta waves and certain brain waves 
that sometimes they're put in with like sounds of rainfall and things. And I've started experimenting myself being, uh, you know, a writer. And Jim, I'm with you. I can I can write five times more in an hour in the morning in those circumstances than I could in five hours in the afternoon when, you know, the house is up and people are pinging me and, you know, I got all kinds of interruptions going on. I mean, that, that sacred hour of work time is really amazing in the morning. Yeah, and I actually discovered, because I did different things, I'll just share this with you. So the music that I listen to, I call it my book writing music. It's acoustic Hawaiian music. I think they call it slack guitar. But so, And sometimes they mix the ocean noise, but it's just guitar. There's almost nothing else, maybe a little bit of a pedal steel or whatever. And it is. I have it extremely low. And it's, again, you know what, I guess you could say that's my white noise. But literally if I'm writing from 4 to 4.30 to 6 o'clock, I can write a book in 60 days. By 6 o'clock, you know, my wife's getting up. I hear the shower upstairs. And what I'll do, I'll take the dog for a walk. I'll come back and have breakfast. I'll get, I'm back at my desk. I feel like I've done as much work as most people do in eight hours by lunchtime, you know. And, and that, that really, that's a key to productivity, I think. It, it, well, I was going to say, you, liter- you literally are. I mean, you think about, especially in a big company environment, you know, what, what's going on in a typical Cuba office from after lunch, 1 o'clock to 5, and, you know, people are in that, they're not eating right, and they're, they're not pacing themselves or taking enough breaks, so they're crashing, you know, they want that post-lunch coma kicking in, they have that, that kicking in, they're fighting with focus, they're slow with their writing, they're slow with their reading, they're not creative in their meetings, you are literally getting more done in an hour than people are doing in a, in a whole afternoon. You can get more done in a week than most people, you know, will get done in a quarter uh, with, your, with your system. So, you know, 15 secrets, 15 um, secrets successful people know about time management. You know, we're, we're starting to run low on time. In fact, it's almost, if, hey, do, you, do you have another five or ten minutes? I'd love to go a little bit long on this. This is a great topic. Yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. Okay, cool. So um, you're not going to give me all 15, but can you give me like one or two of the, of the, of the juicy nuggets that we're going to find in this book? Yeah, well, I, I, uh, let's do this, Jim. For, we've we've talked about some of them. So, like, you know, one of the secrets was was around identifying your your most important task, your MIT, and scheduling it as early in the morning um, as possible. You know, we talked about uh, theming your days. We talked about um, the well, the dangers of meetings, and then there's all kinds of ways to make them more effective, including stand-ups. But the 15 is hard. Not everybody's doing all 15. I mean, I simplified it down just for my own way to remember it, as the, the sort of the formula E3C. Now, E stands for energy, and it all starts with energy, because as we started with time management, you know, we all have the same minutes in the day. You really can't make more time. It's about energy and focus. So you, before anything else, you need to be thinking about how am I maximizing and then maintaining my energy throughout the day. The three Cs, you know, stand for capture, calendar, and then concentrate. And you've been giving great examples, Jim. So, you know, capture means, uh, you know, the, the classic, you know, have a notebook so you're not trying to carry everything around in your mind. You want to write it down, put it down. Uh, it's, it's a great way to de-stress. Um, but you don't want to work off of a to-do list. You want to transfer your to-dos onto your calendar. So that's the second C. You want to live your life from your calendar. To-do lists is 100-year-old technology that, that don't, you know, just doesn't work that well. The third C is the, is the concentration part. 
you know, shut off all those social media notifications and those email alerts. Uh, uh, don't answer the phone unless you've scheduled time for that phone call. And, you know, this kind of encapsulates what all of these people were doing. They were focusing one way or another on, on high energy, maintaining that energy, capturing their dreams, their goals, their most important tasks, putting it on the calendar, protecting the calendar, the power of no, and then working in kind of like jam sessions. I'm going to shut off distractions, optimize my work environment, and boom, I'm going to go typically 25 to 50 minutes. Then I'm going to hop up, drink some water, take the dog outside, get some fresh air, and then boom, go into another 25 to 50 minute jam session. So, I mean, that's, I mean, it's a really, it really simplifies it, but I mean, that, that's sort of in a nutshell what all, what I learned from all of these interviews. You know, I know, um, I read where not only did you interview uh, entrepreneurs, you interviewed athletes, I think some Olympic athletes, and as you mentioned earlier, billionaires. I'm just curious, are there any, sim like if you look at the top kind of um, top uh, productivity folks in each of those categories, were there any similarity? Let's say like billionaires and Olympic athletes, did they have anything in common? Well, you know, what, what um, the end was so small in these, it wasn't so much that there was the elite in each group had things in common. I mean, the 15 secrets were the ones that I saw like, okay, in each group I'm hearing these, these things. But each group also focused on different things. So, for example, <laughs> the, the Olympic athletes, again, this was a surprise to me, what they talked about more than anything else was sleep and rest and taking naps and being lazy. <laughs> so, they would say, Kevin, you know, we're a year away from Rio, and every day I ask myself, I look at my calendar, and I say, how can I spend every single one of these minutes in a way that gets me closer to a gold medal? I mean, they're that, that precise, that passionate about it. But then they also say, and very often it means I'm going to take a two-hour nap in the afternoon <laughs> because, again, back to the power of rest and energy, knowing that, you know, they're, they're not just their bodies are rebuilding during rest time, but their, their mind and their focus and their, their motivation does as well. You know, with the um, – a fun group was the straight-A students. I mean, from high schools, colleges, even Harvard, MIT, medical schools, straight-A students, the number one thing that they talked about was – dealing with social media distractions and that fits the age group right i mean we all have we all suffer from that facebook you know uh addiction or whatever it is but the millennials you know i've got i've got three kids from age 12 to 17 i mean they're just constantly on things that i'm not even on you know snapchat and vine and all these other things so they talked about look if you want to be highly productive as a student if you want straight a's you need to master and, and control social media. So they talked about, you know, ways to avoid distractions, which was kind of interesting. Um, and, and I think, you know, the entrepreneurs, well, you know, let me, let me even say, I guess, the elite in each group, the, the, the most impressive people in each group, they, they would definitely talk about habits. But, Jim, it goes back to mindset. And so many of us don't want to hear that because it sounds like new agey or, yeah, yeah, you know, think positive. But it is true. I mean, you think about our beliefs. If, you know, if we believe that smoking cigarettes is going to, um, you know, make us look cool and drop a few pounds, we're maybe, you know, more likely to smoke cigarettes. But if we think cigarettes are going to kill us, we're not going to smoke cigarettes. Same thing with our time. If we truly value 
the 1,440 minutes each day that we have, if we know that they are way more valuable than money, because you can lose money, make it back, lose your health, get it back, lose friends, make new friends, time's just gone. I mean, if we truly feel that 1,440 a day, all the rest falls into place. I think that's probably what I heard, you know, loud and clear from that elite band. You know, I, I'm thinking. I got this little voice that plays in my head. Make sure I'm staying on track. And it, it just started screaming at me, Kevin. I went right into the topic because I was really excited about it. I always ask people, "How did you become an entrepreneur?" Tell us real quickly about your journey. So maybe we'll just reverse everything, and I'll I'll kind of wind up the, uh, our conversation that way. How did you tell me about your early entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, well, I, I remember the day I decided to become an entrepreneur. I, was, uh, I wasn't even a teenager yet, and I was playing on the front lawn of uh, my house in Southern California, a nice sunny day, not a care or concern in mind, and a Corvette pulled up and parked in front of the house, which was a rare sight. I was in lower lower middle class type neighborhood. Big guy in a black suit gets out, mirrored sunglasses, and he comes storming up on the lawn, you know, towering over me. He had one arm, which scared the hell out of me as a kid, and he was looking for my father, who wasn't home, and he said, he stuck his business card in my face and said, give this to your dad and tell him he'd better call me. I was freaked out, and this guy looked like a James Bond villain, and so that night when my dad got home, you know, I told him about this strange, you know, one-armed man, and my dad didn't say anything. I said, you know, you going to call him, dad? He says, nope. I'm like, well, what does he want? He says, he wants money. He's looking for money. And what I didn't realize is my dad, who was an entrepreneur, his company failed. And this was a bill collector looking mm. to collect. And I said, um, so you're not going to call him? He says, no. And I said, well, aren't you scared? He says, no, I ain't scared. I said, why not? He says, there's nothing left for them to take. And I had Ooh. no idea the severity as a you know 10-year-old kid or 11-year-old kid of what was going on. But that night I wrote in my little uh, journal – I said, I wrote about what happened, and I said, I don't care what it takes, but when I grow up, I'm going to have a lot of money. And today it sounds like some, you know, Wall Street Gordon Gecko thing, but what it was really a message from a 10-year-old kid is saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure there's never a scary one-armed man kicking me out of my house because we, you know, we left the house and, you know, everything was gone. And I, so I was fixated on it from that day of I'm going to start my own business and make a lot of money. And I started right out of college. I, I didn't have enough money for an apartment and an office, so I got a tiny one-room office that I secretly slept under the desk and I'd shower every morning at the YMCA. And that business failed <laughs> after a year. Like it, and that's when I learned, like, it ain't all about hustle. You know, like, I worked my butt off, but I wasn't mm. working on the right things in the right way. And the second business, you know, there was eventually, like after five years, I had a little million-dollar business, but I was working over 100 hours a week. And then three businesses later, I built a $12 million-a-year business in four years, and I was working about 30 hours a week, all because I understood about productivity and productivity habits. So, I mean, that's really, I mean, it was from being a young kid, deciding I was going to do it, failed miserably in my first attempt, like I said, I was young and dumb, but I I was a learner, and I just got better and better every time I tried. 
That's awesome. What a great story. You know, it's it's funny sometimes, and, and you know, I started uh, when I was 41 or 42, and, um, you know, what I think helps a lot of people if they do start younger is you have what, that youthful exuberance where you, nothing, nothing worries you, because I think the older we get, the more, you know, conservative or safe we make our decisions, right, because we've got families and all other things, but when you start young and it's kind of, you know, the Katie bar the door type thinking, I think that's where a lot of success can come from. Yeah, and I didn't realize at the time, but you're right, Jim. I mean, you know, look, I I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a, a wife and kids to, to, you know, worry about their future, providing for them. I mean, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so, I mean, I went into debt, and I did lose money on credit cards and all the rest, but it was relatively modest risk. And what I didn't realize also is that while I didn't have the advantage of knowledge or the network – I had exactly what you said. I mean, just this youthful exuberance. And I think people would look at me back then and be like, geez, you know, I don't know what's with this Kevin Cruz kid, you know, or if he's going to succeed, but good for him that he's trying. And I think, it, you know, I, 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 I made a lot of friends along the way just because I was giving it a try. And also to your point, Jim, it's funny. Um, even after, you know, entrepreneurs like us, you know, we've, we've had some success and financially we're fortunate it really doesn't get easier because an odd thing happens. You become attached to that success. Like, well, what if I try another one and it doesn't work out? Like, right now, I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Successful or I've got money in the bank. What if that goes away? And I think we need to remember that, you know, our self-worth really shouldn't be tied to our net worth. You know, life is about making an impact, having an adventure, and, you know, whether you, you succeed or not, you're going to learn and have fun and, you know, make great relationships along the way. And, uh, but, but we can lose sight of that. It's absolutely true. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta stay young, you know, and still just uh, weigh the risk. But some, some, you gotta go for it, man. I mean, wealth rewards risk, as you, as you all well know. So, man, this has been a fun interview, Kevin. I want to thank you so much for coming on. But I want to give you a chance to, um, you know, how can people connect with you, learn more about you, and for heaven's sakes, where can they get a copy of your book? Because it, it, it really sounds amazing. Oh no, that's that. I appreciate you uh, you asking. Well, what I've set up, the easiest thing for your listeners to do is, I've set up a website for all the listeners of Stick Like Glue Radio. Just go to fifteen timesecrets.com. So that's the numbers one five timesecrets.com, and um, you can sign up. I'll send you a free paperback copy of the book, downloadable planning templates, online videos. Just ask um, help with the shipping and handling. You can also, you know, get it online. But all the contact information is there. It's the easiest website uh, to remember. And I look forward to connecting to anyone on LinkedIn or, or whatever. I just love helping entrepreneurs. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much, man. It's been a real pleasure talking with you today. Thanks, Jim. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode of Stick Like Glue Radio and a little extended version here with New York Times bestselling author Kevin Cruz. Stick Like Glue Radio, it's the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. I'm your host, Jim Palmer, your dream business coach. As always, I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. Watch for another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio this time next week. Until then, Keep moving forward, keep taking action, and don't ever, ever, ever give up. Hey, go out there and do something nice for somebody today. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. 
Stick Like Glue Radio features Jim Palmer's unique brand of smart marketing and business building advice for action-oriented entrepreneurs. To make sure you don't miss a single profit-boosting show, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and www.getjimpalmer.com. To learn more about Jim's Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind program, visit www.dreambizcoaching.com. That's www.dreambizcoaching.com. If you know other entrepreneurs looking for the fastest way to hire profits in their business, please tell them about the Stick Like Glue radio podcast. Now, go and implement what you've learned and boost your profits. See you next week for more Stick Like Glue radio.